Hi, my name is Kirk Kinder, and this is Saving Yourself from Wall Street, the podcast for people who want to avoid Wall Street's sales tactics, high cost, and conflicted advice so they can take control of their financial life. So let's get to it. In this week's episode of the Saving Yourself from Wall Street podcast, we're going to dig into the new stimulus law. We're going to look and see what provisions are in there. How does that impact you? What can you expect? And also, how is this different than what the original CARES Act was? Now, I know I promised in the last podcast we were going to spend the next couple weeks looking at the long-term investment trends. But I decided to jump, you know, jump in front of the line here, throw in the, uh, the new law since it just got passed. And I know there are a lot of questions out there about it. Now, this is a presentation that I gave to my financial planning clients. Again, if you would like to get this information, go ahead and sign up for our newsletter at savingyourselffromwallstreet.com. And we'll let you have the opportunity to sign up for all of the things that we do for clients. So it's just an opportunity to get that. If you don't want to sign up for our newsletter, but you still like to see some more information on this, because this was essentially a webinar, you can check out that webinar on our website, savingyourselffromwallstreet.com, along with all our other videos that are there. So let's, uh, let's jump into it. Good morning. Happy New Year, everybody. Hope your uh, New Year's off to a good start. Anyway, today, uh, what we're going to talk about <clears throat> is the new uh, tax bill that came out, spending bill, whatever you want to call it, stimulus, uh, the monstrosity, 5,000-page monstrosity. But we're going to go through and just kind of hit on the, the, the major points of it so you can kind of see how it might impact you. Some of the stuff won't impact you. I've got a pretty diverse viewership here with small business owners, non-small business owners, retirees, non-retirees, uh, people with kids, people without kids. So it's it's going to be uh, a little bit all, all over the map. Um, so hang with me on that. And let me jump in and get this going. Okay. So again, we'll go to the stimulus bill real quick and then just open up to, to possibly any questions. Uh, so I, I'm sure you all heard it's a 5,300 page bill. And of course they tied it to a government funding bill. That's why everybody found out about all the foreign aid that was going out there for ridiculous purposes, which will never be spent on those ridiculous purposes. I mean, foreign aid is nothing more than a you get it to the hands of the people at the top, the politicians, and then they pretty much keep it. Um, I've always said foreign aid is a, a way for the, the less wealthy Americans to fund the very wealthy international leaders. So uh, so there's a lot of angst and anger about that, and I think there should be. I mean, just the fact that it's 5,300 pages should upset people. So anyway, and I'll get off my soapbox. Um, so again, Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. Uh, 5,300 page bill. And outside of what it does for the stimulus, it's also going to fund the government through September, 2021. So the biggest thing that everybody always asks about is the stimulus checks. Um, when am I getting it? What are the rules? What's going to happen? For the most part, it's pretty similar to what happened in the CARES Act back in March. Uh, the only difference is this is going to be $600 for any eligible person. And, um, so for Mary filing joint, you're going to get 1200 
And then for any dependents under the age of 17, you'll also get another $600. And the key phrase there is under the age of 17. Uh, both this stimulus check and then the child tax credit both use that language under age 17. And we do a lot of tax returns and people will have their 17 year old still in their house, still in high school, and they lose a big credit and they get angry at us. Like, yeah, you must have done the tax return wrong. Well, no, it's under age 17. So um, that's the biggest thing. So you might think, hey, they're still dependent. They're still in my house. I'm still, you know, filing taxes with them on it. You know, they're in high school. No, you're not getting the money. Um, just to so give you kind of an idea of what, what it's looking like. Again, here's a couple examples. Joe's a single taxpayer. He's a parent of a 10-year-old child. And according to his base, the additional recovery rebate is two. So he'll get two credits. So him and his child, 600 each, that's 1,200. Uh, Archie and Edith, married couple, file a joint return, have no children. Uh, their basic additional recovery rebate number is going to be two. So 600 times two, $1,200. Uh, Mike and Carol Brady, they're married, file a joint return. Their parents have six children who are all under the age of 17. So in that case, they're going to have an additional recovery rebate of eight. Mike, Carol, the six kids. So that's going to be $4,800. Okay, so pretty straightforward. Uh, most people are going to get the 600 bucks, and then you just times that by the number of people in the house under age 15. But there's always the, the phase out. So once your income, if you're single, goes above 75,000, you're going to be phased out. The phase out is a reduction of the credit for $5 for every $100 of income above these levels. Uh, for joint, so Mary filing joint, that's 150,000. And then head of household, it's 112.5. Um, so it will phase out as incomes go up. And this is kind of a chart, a little bit busy, but you can sort of see how the phase outs work. So the very bottom, you look at the kind of the, I don't know, teal green, that's single. So you can see for single folks, goes all the way out to that $75,000 figure, and then it starts to phase out. So really, by the time I think you hit what's well, 90,000, you're not going to get any additional uh, recovery rebate whatsoever. And then you can kind of see from each different <clears throat> situation here, it then gets in the head of household, Marilyn filing jointly with no children, Mary filing joint, one child, two children, three children. So you can start to see how, how the phase outs work for all of that. So if you're in the higher income, you may not get it. Um, this is going back to the example before, Archie and Edith. This is from the previous example 1B. They've got an additional base recovery rebate of 1,200 and have 200,000 of adjusted gross income. Now, since the bunkers phase out threshold is 150,000, they're 200,000 minus 150,000. So that means there's 50, they're $50,000 over the applicable additional recovery rebate. So what you do there, again, every $100 is a $5 reduction in the rebate. So 50,000 divided by 100 times $5 equals 2,500. 
uh, since reductions of $5 for every $100 exceeding the threshold. So essentially, <clears throat> they're going to be fully phased out of their rebate. So they're not going to get anything due to their income. Now, the other big question is your income may be different from 2019 to 2020. So everything right now is based on your 2019 tax return. Well, maybe you had a much higher income in 2019 and then 2020 was a little bit more difficult to earn income because of the coronavirus. But the thing you have to remember, this is a refundable credit. So technically it is a 2020 tax credit. You just got it early. Usually you, you get those credits when you file your 2020 return sometime between February and April. But the reality is they gave it to you early. So if you have a situation where you made a lot of money in 19 and not as much in 2020, so you got phased out of the credit now, well, when you file your 2020 return, if your income is lower, you're going to end up getting the credit when you file. So it's not like it's lost. Uh, the, the sweet spot for people is if their 2019 income was lower and the 2020 was much higher. So based on the 2020 figures, they might have been phased out of the credit, but they got it because of their 2019 income. If you're in that situation, you win the chicken dinner, you know, winner, winner, chicken dinner, because when you go to file your 2020 return, they're not going to make you pay back that credit. You get to keep it. So it's, it truly is a total bonus for you in that situation. So this chart just kind of lays things out for you based on a, a, a matrix between 2019 income and 2020. Obviously, if both 2020 and 2019 income are lower than the threshold, you get to recover rebate now and you get to keep it. Uh, if you go down, your income in 2019 was higher than the threshold, but for 2020, it wasn't. Again, you're not going to get the rebate now, but you will get it when you do your 2020 return. Uh, this is also pretty applicable for people who had maybe children who were over 17. They can file on their own. And when they do, they'll get the credit then. I get that question a lot. Like they did, the parent didn't get it or the child hasn't filed yet. A lot of things like that. The child will get it when they file their 2020 return. Um, and then lastly, um, the final column, 2020 income is higher than threshold with the 2019 income less than threshold. Again, you're the winner there. You're going to get the rebate now, but you don't have to pay it back. And of course, if your income in 2019 and 2020 is higher than the thresholds, you're not going to get it either time. Okay. So that, that's usually the biggest thing. We get a ton of questions on that. I was so happy that they did pay the stimulus check right away. So you probably, if you have electronic deposit, you've already got it. I think the vast majority of Americans have already gotten that. The reason I'm happy they paid it out quickly is because when they didn't back in March, and it was a whole process, we got about 100,000 calls, it seemed like. Everybody asking, can I find out when their, their check's coming? So I was so happy they got that out quickly because I really don't have time to answer questions that I didn't have answers for. Um, anyway, so that next big thing that everybody's talking about is the paycheck protection program. This is part two. So here again, it's very similar to the original PPP loan. I think the original PPP loan was for $375 billion. And I might be off in that number, uh, but this one is, is going to be for $275 billion. 
It's a little bit less, uh, but they, but there are some different stipulations to this one that I think it's going to make it so that at least there'll be a little less fraud and it really will go to people who need it. Uh, it seems to be structured a little bit better, but pretty much similar to the first one. Uh, the, the other big thing that it did is it clarified some items that were unaddressed in the original CARES Act. I mean, they threw the original CARES Act together so quickly that we really didn't have all the answers that we needed. Um, so if a business has not received their loan yet, so any business that didn't apply way back in March and April or any time in 2020, uh, it's wide open for you. So you're going to come in, you're under the same rules as the original pay Paycheck Protection Program Part 1. Now, if you've already received uh, the PPP, but you need more capital, it is open to you, but there's going to be a little bit tougher qualifications. So this is what I talk about. They've got it structured now where it's going to be a little bit tougher to get some money. So it should go to businesses that really need it and not just a free for all. Okay. So clarification of the PPP loans. <clears throat> uh, the original amount is not forgiven debt. The first thing that everybody was worried about is if you got the, the amount of your original PPP loan forgiven, that some people thought that that was going to be taxable income uh, because in the tax code, if you have a debt that is forgiven, that's wiped out, that is technically income. So there was a lot of worry that people were going to end up having to pay taxes on this forgiven amount. Well, this bill said forgiven the forgiven PPP loans is not forgiven debt for tax purposes. So it truly will not be taxed. Uh, the other thing is when it first came out, again, Congress didn't clarify this. So the IRS came up and, and put out their position that if you took the PPP loan, any expenses that you used for the PPP proceeds could not be deducted on your tax return. So if you spend all that money on, on labor, employees, then you weren't able to deduct that on your tax return. Well, the bill comes out and basically refutes that and says, no, it, any, you can still deduct full deductibility of all of the employee costs that you use the PPP loan on or any other cost. So it really, it's kind of a windfall for small business owners. It's not taxed as a forgiven debt. And then you can still sort of double deduct the expenses. You, you've got this phantom income and then you can write off the expenses still, you know, without having to pay tax in that. Okay. Um, covered operational expenses. Uh, they expand this a little bit. So it used to be, you know, pretty much laid out that it was mostly going to be payroll and it still is. Still has to be 60% payroll, but the other things that they had put before were rent, uh, a mortgage, utilities, they were allowed you to use some of those expenses towards the total forgiveness amount. So you could use 60% of labor and then 40% of other expenses to get the forgiveness. Well, they've added some other things here. Uh, the first one is any kind of business software, cloud computing, uh, anything like that, processing payments, tracking of payroll, expenses, human resources, costs, sales and billing functions, accounting or tracking of supplies, inventory records and expenses. So now you can also include those as part of that 40% uh, figure. Uh, some other ones, damage 
damage costs. So um, due to the looting and vandalism, if you happen to be one of those lucky winners where you, you live in a city where they're allowing this to happen, um, if your store was damaged in any way or your business because of that, well, then you can include that as part of the covered expenses in this situation. Uh, long as you didn't get money from insurance or some other compensation locally from that. So any amount that you were kind of left on your own due to the vandalism or looting, uh, that can be included as part of the PPP calculation. Uh, another one is supplier cost. Uh, so anything that you have dealing with, you know, if you if you bought all these supplies and then they went bad, this is particularly for restaurants. So if the restaurants had a full you know, a full freezer of food or even just other perishables, vegetables, things like that. And they weren't able to use it all because business got curtailed. Uh, you can now include that as an expense. Uh, and the other thing is you can also include other <clears throat> uh, covered worker protection expenditures. When you go into stores now or restaurants, you see all the plexiglass and, you know, all the protections they've taken to, to try to mitigate the COVID. All of that can be included as part of the calculation to get the waiver of the Paycheck Protection Program. So they added those things in there. Um, the other big thing is they they did clarify that the business owner can decide to do it over an eight or 24 week period. Uh, at first it was only expenses incurred over eight weeks and then they started to say, well, we'll do it over 24. Uh, this basically clarified that and said, you can the business owner gets to decide whether it's eight or 24. Uh, the other thing it did is they simplified the forgiveness process if you took under $150,000. In fact, it's really simple now. It's one page, a one page application, and you don't have to even substantiate. They're basically letting you, you know, do the Boy Scout code, right? Where you just say, I did this. Um, you don't have to put in payroll expenses. You don't have to show what you paid in Social Security, Medicare. Uh, or any of your utility bills or stuff like that. They're basically letting you say, I spent this. Um, so that's good. Uh, insurance benefits count as payroll. So if you're doing you know, payroll and you're paying for health insurance benefits or disability or even life insurance, any kind of group plan, you can also include those in your calculation for the 60% that must be payroll. Those can be pretty big expenses. And instead of just being paychecks to your employees, it can now be the benefits that you're also providing. Uh, as I said before, it's still completely open for businesses that didn't take one earlier. So you really don't have it. You know, if you're a business and you were impacted in some way, or even if you were just small business and you didn't take it before and you want to take it now, you can. Okay, it's wide open, same rules as before. But um, if you did take it the first time, they now have some stipulations if you want to go back to the well and get some more. It's going to be a little bit more difficult. And, and this is, I think, good. I mean, we want this money going to people or businesses that have been impacted by COVID. We don't need businesses seeing this as just a, a free-for-all. Hey, I'm going to grab some money. That, that shouldn't be the way it is. Um, so the first thing you have to do now, if you're going back for part two, you have to show a drop in revenue of 25% or more in any quarter for 2020 compared to 2019. So if you 
if you had say second quarter of 2019 was really good, 2020 it wasn't because that was you know April, May, and June when things were really impacted by COVID. You show a 25% reduction in revenue, not not profits, but revenue. Then you can reapply again. Um, they also cut the maximum uh, revenue base from from 10 million to 2 million. So this is truly focusing more on small business. This isn't for companies that are up in the 10 million range. You know, if you're making eight, nine, 10 million, they figure you probably can get through this. This is for small, small businesses. So it's a million or less in revenue. Uh, the other thing that they did here, which I think is also good, because let's face it, mostly restaurants are really struggling and hanging in there. Uh, they said that restaurants can can do three and a half times their payroll as opposed to two and a half times for all other businesses. So if you own any other kind of business like my business, you know, if I, if I needed to take it, I could do, I could say over a period, I could take two and a half times the payroll over an eight or 24 week period. So I just take the payroll <clears throat> that I've got for that 24 week period, multiply by two and a half. That could be the amount of PPP I get. Well, a restaurant can get a little bit more money. They can do three and a half times of what their payroll was over that eight or 24 week period. So hopefully that'll help restaurants hang in there a little bit. Uh, we'll see. I, I mean, there's a lot of restaurants barely hanging in there. Uh, another thing that they had, uh, this one I didn't see as much was the employee retention credit. Uh, at first, when they passed the CARES Act in March, they said you could do one or the other. You could either do the employee retention credit or the PPP. Um, now they're saying you can do both. So and if your business was really hit hard, you can take the PPP and you might also be able to take the employee retention credit. This credit's a little bit more difficult to get, you'll see. <clears throat> but now they've opened it up so you can get both. Uh, just like the PPP, now healthcare can be part of the calculation. So if you're paying healthcare for your employees, you can include this as part of the calc. Um, essentially what it is... Um, you have to have wages of, it's based on wages of 10,000 per quarter. Um, it was 10,000 per year before, so they switched that to a quarter. Uh, the credit went up from a 50% credit on the 10K to 70%. Uh, it also went up to 500 employees from the original 100. So what do you have to do to get this? Well, it requires a 20% quarterly reduction in revenue in 2021 vice the 50% before, All right? So this is really a, a credit for this year. So if you're a restaurant and you're starting to still see 20% 20 20 reduction in your revenue in 2021, and this goes back to 2019, not 2020. So you look at 2019 income, if your, if your revenue drops 20% in any quarter, you get this credit. Uh, and going back up to the criteria, uh, it was, you know, 10K per year per employee. Now it's 10 per quarter. So if you really had a bad year in 2021, if, if really all of four quarters are going to be 20% below what it was in 2019, you could take 10K per employee per quarter. So that's 40K per year. And then you get 70% of that as a credit. So that's 28,000 of a credit if that was the situation. So they, so they really opened this thing up as well. 
and I'm not, I'm fine with this because uh, this is really, again, only helping people who have a serious reduction in revenue. If you're, if you're down 20%, especially in a restaurant, uh, you know, you've wiped out your profit margin. Restaurants are notoriously bad with profit margins. I mean, you're lucky in a restaurant if you have a 10% profit margin. Uh, it's, it's really difficult. So if you drop 20% in revenue, you're pretty much losing money. So this just gives you a good credit to get through it. Uh, I, I think this was a little bit better planned. I think they learned a little bit. You know, believe it or not, Congress actually did something halfway decent. Uh, I, I think they looked at things and, and they made it so that it's really only going to help the people who really need it. And that's what it should be. Um, so speaking of the thing that people really need it, unemployment insurance. Now, if it, if it had been me, I wouldn't have done the $600 stimulus check uh, for everybody. I don't think everybody needs it. I mean, there are a lot of people who, if a married couple making 130000 more than likely they're not going to need, you know, 600 bucks. They've got good income coming in. Uh, I think it should have just been unemployment insurance. So I'm glad to see that they extended this for the people who don't have a job. I mean, that's who we want to help here. So the federal benefits have been extended through March of 2021, so three more months. And the pandemic unemployment benefits, so this is for the self-employed people who typically can't qualify for unemployment benefits. It was also extended until April 5th of 2021. So what it's doing, it's giving you an extra $300 of benefits, vice an extra 600 what they did before for the next 11 weeks. I'm still kind of iffy on giving people more. I mean, if they're making more unemployment, I think it should go up to, you know, maybe you get the $300 if it, it takes you up to what you were making before. But if it takes you over what you were making before, I don't think you should get it. That's what I would have done differently. You know, you can kind of make people whole, but you don't want to, you know, make a benefit so that they have a disincentive to go back to work. Uh, but instead of 600 before, it's now 300 and the other thing is they they also continued the stipulation where you don't have to wait a week to get unemployment. Usually when you get unemployed, you wait one week and then you file for unemployment. But what this is doing is as soon as you're laid off, you can get unemployment that week. So the federal government's going to do that for the next 11 weeks. Okay. So there's also been some changes to the personal income tax code in here. They threw some things in. Uh, so the first thing they did is, a, is something to try to get some help to restaurants again. So for the next two years, 2021 and 2022, businesses can take a 100% deduction for their meals if it's from a restaurant. So it could be takeout or it could be dining in. So businesses now get 100% dollar for dollar deduction uh, before it was 50%. So if you took a client out to, to dinner, essentially you could write off 50% of that, that dinner. Now you can take 100%. Uh, the other thing that they did is if you were so inclined, you can now deduct 100% of your adjuster gross income if you give it to charity. Uh, before that was 50%. I've never ever seen anybody do more than I've never seen anybody do 50%, honestly. Uh, so I'm not really sure who, who's going to give every dollar of their income. Maybe they will. I don't, I don't know. But you can now <coughs> do that as well. 
Uh, the other, the really good thing, and I think this should stay here forever, I really do, is a $600 charity deduction as an adjustment. What's that mean? Well, usually in order to deduct your charitable expenses, you have to itemize your taxes. So you have to do a Schedule A. The Schedule A has your mortgage interest, your real estate taxes, any state income taxes paid, and then it's got your charity. So if you are renting and you don't have a mortgage, you're probably not going to do Schedule A. You're not going to itemize. So that means all these people who have been renting all these years can't get a deduction for any charitable expenses or donations. Sorry, any charitable donations. And I've always thought that that was kind of wrong. I mean, I think if you're going to give the charity and if as a tax code, we're going to we're going to credit some people with it. We should credit everybody with it. So what they're done now is you don't have to do a Schedule A or itemize your, your tax deductions to get some sort of charitable deduction. You get $600 of a charitable deduction no matter what, as long as you gave the $600. So I think that's good. I think that's a great way to get people who are renting or maybe have paid off their house and don't have enough deductions to itemize. They're still going to get a $600 charitable deduction. I would like to see that go up even more to be the same as it is for the itemized. Again, before it used to be you could give up to 50% of your income and take that deduction. Right now, for this year, it's going to be 100%. I, I think that would be fair to do that for anybody. If, you, if you're charitable, charitably inclined and we're going to reward you with taxes, we should reward anybody who has that charitable undertaking. Um, so that's good to see that's on there. Uh, the other thing is the lifetime learning credit. So for colleges, uh, basically you have the uh, American savings credit and then you have lifetime learning credit. And then there's a third thing, a tuition and fees deduction. They got rid of the tuition and fees deduction completely. That's out of the tax code. So now there's just the American opportunity and the lifetime learning. Lifetime learning credit is much better than what the tuition and expenses uh, deduction was. So what they did here is they got rid of tuition and expenses, and then they just upped the phase out limits for the lifetime learning credit. So they took that up so that more people can take advantage of the lifetime learning credit. And lifetime learning credit is 20% of your authorized expenses. So it could be 20% of your, uh, you know, of your tuition uh, books, things like that. And the other thing about the lifetime learning credit is it's it's good for people who are doing master's degrees or even just any kind of continuing education at an accredited university or school. So it could be trade schools, things like that. So they, the phase outs now are 80 to 90,000 for single folks and 160 to 180 K for married. So it's up about 40 percent from where it was. So that's good. More people are going to get more credits for their education. Uh, the medical deduction is is now permanently going to be seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income. So medical expenses is on the itemized deductions or Schedule A, and they've been going back and forth between seven and a half percent and ten percent. I mean, it's very difficult to write off medical expenses if you make a hundred thousand dollars. The first seven thousand five hundred dollars of medical is not able to be deducted. It's only the amount above that. So it's 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 tough to get there. <coughs> what they did is said, look, we've been bouncing back between 10 and seven and a half percent. It's very difficult. Let's just make it seven and a half percent. We'll leave it at that. It's a little lower threshold for people who do have a lot of medical expenses to start to get their deduction. So I think this is a good thing for people. 
I mean, if you have, you know, if you have more than 70% of your income going to just medical, that's a, that's a big bite into your, your living expenses. So at this point, they're saying, we're going to try to get you more deductions. I think that's great. Uh, the deadline to repay deferred payroll taxes has been extended to December 31st, 2021. What this was, it allowed employers and employees to defer paying their, their Medicare and Social Security taxes during 2020. But it had a stipulation that you had to pay it all back at the beginning of this year. So if you went six, six months without paying your FICA, as an employee, and then all of a sudden you got to pay it all back in January. That could eat your whole paycheck up. So I, I didn't see many people doing this. So I, I don't think this is a big thing, but what they did is they said, okay, rather than have to pay it back now in January, 2021, we're going to extend it all the way to the end of 2021. I guess that's good. Uh, the 20, okay. So for earned income credit, I don't think anybody on listening to this is an earned income credit. Uh, recipient, but what they're doing now is they're letting them use either their 2020 income or 2019 income to determine what their earned income credit is going to be. And I think this is good. The earned income credit, as it sounds, you have to have earned income, W-2 income or self-employed income. And if your income took a huge hit in 2020 due to COVID, you might get phased out of that credit. And it's a pretty big credit for people, especially with kids could be a, you know, it could be a $5,000 credit. So what they're doing is saying you can use your 2019 income level for that. So that way you can maximize your credit. So that helps out folks in low income. So I think that's a good thing. Uh, they've also uh, extended the ability for employers to make payments of student loans that's been extended to 2025. So a company can develop a, a program where they provide up to $5,125 of education uh, education supplements for their employees. So this, it could be 5,000 that goes towards actually going to school, pays tuition and books, things like that. Well, what they did is they said, now that 5,000 can be used to pay for student loans. So they can help some of their employees who are just over indebted with student loans. That's been extended to 2025. Again, with student loan issues that we have going on, I think that's a good thing. And the last thing is uh, they extended the flexible spending accounts. Usually a flexible spending account is something you put a little of your paycheck aside, pre-tax, every, every paycheck, and then it's used for medical and you don't pay tax on it. So that ends at the end of the year. You've got to use it or lose it. So they extended that. So what they said is you can either do one of two things. You can either take $550 that you have remaining and use it over the entire 2021 year tax year, or you can have no limit. So if you had a thousand left and you, you still needed to use it, you can, but you have to use that in the first two and a half months of 2021. So if you have money in your flexible spending accounts, if it's under 550, you've got the whole year to use it. <laughs> for 2021. If it's more than 550, you're, you're going to want to spend that up in the next two and a half months. Uh, some other things, educator expenses now include COVID related costs. So if you had to do something as a teacher related to COVID, 
Not sure what that would be. Maybe plexiglass. I I, I don't know. Uh, but basically, you can now deduct that as part of the deduction that all teachers get on their tax return. Uh, the other thing, mortgage insurance premiums are going to be deducted now through 2021. So if you itemize, that's a good thing. If you have a mortgage where you still have some mortgage insurance on it, you're going to be able to deduct those premiums. So that's pretty big. We do see a lot of people with that. A lot of the FHA mortgages, you come in, you, you put down three or 4%, and then you basically have to pay for mortgage insurance uh, until you get past that 20% equity figure, and then you can refinance. Uh, the other thing that was extended was the energy efficient home and the qual qualified fuel cell motor vehicle credits. So I'm sure Tesla's very happy about this. Um, they've been kind of living on those, those motor vehicle credits forever, but that's been extended through the year. And the other thing that they've done, I'm not going to get into it now, but they've made some changes to the FAFSA. That's what you have to file in order to, uh, you know, get some kind of aid from, from colleges. It's a, it's a really convoluted process right now. It's got 108 questions on it right now. So they're going to simplify everything, make it a little bit easier to navigate. So that's good. But that's a future episode without a doubt. Okay. Uh, so there's some other little things here that they did not address. So if you're somebody who inherited an IRA or you're over 70 and a half or 72, which is a new law where you have to take required minimum distributions from an IRA. Well, for 2020, that was waived. You did not have to take your RMD. Well, the tax bill now is not waiving that this year. Okay, so if you're of age or you inherited an IRA and you have to take an RMD, you're going to have to take it in 2021. <coughs> Excuse me. So there's <clears throat> no exemption of that anymore. Uh, the other thing is there's no additional relief for 2020 RMDs. So the other thing that they allowed you to do in 2020 was if you had taken an RMD and you, you didn't need it, you had the opportunity within 60 days to put the money back in. So you could put the money back in there and, <clears throat> and you're fine. Well, that's not the case. That is not part of this bill. So basically we're back to the normal RMD rules for the most part. And the other thing is there's no more student loan relief. So what they did, the original CARES Act, they had a, a 0% rate for all federal guaranteed loans. They allowed suspension of payments. So you didn't have to make the payments in 2020. And then they stopped any collections on defaulted loans. That's over too. Okay, so if you have a student loan, you're back to your original rate of interest. You got to start making the payments. And if you have been in default, uh, Uncle Sam's going to come knocking. Okay. Uh, again, always finish with this, that, hey, this is a presentation for informational purposes and do the best to make sure I've got accurate data. This is not financial advice or tax advice. So make sure you see somebody who knows what they're doing with that. Okay. All right. So let's jump in and see if there are any questions. I know this is a lot of information I threw at you. It's a 5,000 page <laughs> bill. So it's, it's difficult to condense that down into a 30, 40 minute presentation. Uh, but these were the biggest things that I think are going to affect the most people. So let's see. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, the first one's not really a, a, a question, I don't think. What happens if we don't pay the government the interest on the bonds the Treasury is buying? Um, yeah, that'd be great. Um, okay, any other questions from anybody? Anybody have any situations where they're not sure? Like I said, if you check your bank account, you're probably going to see the $600 stimulus has been deposited. If you didn't get it, uh, it could be because you didn't have electronic banking information in the IRS database, and they're going to send you a check in that situation. Any info on when the PPP portal will be open? It's already open. Okay, so if you have somebody, if you have a bank that you worked with either the first time or if you haven't worked yet with anybody, uh, you can go to your bank and see if they have a good process for PPP loans. <clears throat> uh, there, there's a lot of organizations that are focused on this, but uh, first go talk to your bank. Um, they're willing to do it. Now, if you're with a Bank of America or a big bank like that, you might want to look at a smaller bank or a credit union to get more individual attention. I know Bank of America, when they first did it, they were essentially only only working with customers that they had some other kind of big monetary relationship with. Uh, so they either had money invested at Merrill Lynch, which is owned by Bank of America, or they were really a big banking client. A lot of the small banking clients didn't really get much attention. And it's kind of sad, but that, that was the case. So I know credit unions are, are, are really good at that if they deal with business loans at all. Um, okay. I guess that's it. No other questions. Uh, again, if questions pop up as you're going through this uh, on the, on the tax codes, if you see something you want clarification, feel, you know, feel free to reach out to me, let me know. And if I get enough questions, maybe I'll, I'll elaborate on another uh, coffee with Kirk outside that want to wish you again, a happy new year. Hope it's uh, started off the right way and hopefully it'll be a little bit better in 2020. So have a great weekend folks. Well, that's it for this episode of the saving yourself from wall street podcast. I appreciate you stopping in as always. You can find our podcast along with other articles and videos at saving yourself from wall street.com. And now the lawyer say hi. Saving Yourself from Wall Street is hosted by Kirk Kinder. Kirk Kinder is the owner of Picket Fence Financial, a fee-only financial planning firm. Picket Fence Financial is regulated by the states of Maryland and Florida in accordance and in compliance with securities laws and regulations. Picket Fence Financial does not render or offer to render personalized financial or tax advice through the Saving Yourself from Wall Street podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.